we've been studying this very short letter that the Apostle Paul has written to a church that has been under persecution. He couldn't even stay in this city because there were enemies trying to kill him. But he writes back to them, encouraging them, and one of the themes that's found frequently through 1 Thessalonians as well as 2 Thessalonians, another letter he wrote to them, is a theme of the end times and what's going to happen in the future. Now, if you think that this life is all there is, you're going to be in for a big surprise. Uh, for the Bible makes it very, very clear that this earthly life in which we're living is only temporal, and there's an eternity out ahead which is very, very long. I don't have to say that to you. And you ought to make sure that you're ready to meet God. And there have been different times of interact with people, didn't know them too much, and got talking just a little bit about life and so on. And one of the things I try to leave them with, and that is someday we're going to meet God, and we need to make sure we're ready. Uh, just being popular and having a lot of money, uh, being successful, just enjoying the ride, so to speak, through this earthly life is not enough. You're not prepared until you put your trust in Jesus Christ, who died for your sin and my sin. And every one of us, including myself, need to hear a message about Jesus Christ and need to hear it over and over again. If you've never put your trust in him, may I say, it's not just being a good religious person. It's far more than that. It's turning your life over to God by turning from your sin and putting your trust in Jesus, who died for us on the cross of Calvary. Now, I'm going to be preaching a message from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It's somewhat similar to last week's message, at least the title is, The Lord Will Come, Get Prepared. And we're going to be looking at it from a little different angle than we looked at the message last week on the rapture, but nevertheless, getting our mind tuned into the fact that God wants us to be prepared prepared in our soul as far as salvation is concerned, but he wants to be, us to be prepared to be light in this dark world in which we're living. How many of you agree with me? We're living in a dark world. You say, well, there's sun shining out, so it doesn't seem dark to me. The lights are on here. I'm talking about spiritually, we're living in a world filled with darkness, and God has called us to light. We're supposed to be living in the light. So let me read uh, chapter 5. And verses 1 through 11, then I'll have a brief word of prayer. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You're all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, 
putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. All right, let's pause for prayer for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you, dear God, for your precious word that guides us through life, has the answer for life, has the answer for what is out ahead, and you've provided a wonderful salvation in your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we can have, and we can encourage one another with this hope. And uh, a world that's filled with turmoil and unrest, hatred, uh, injustices, Lord, we know that someday you're going to straighten all this out. We pray that you guide us and direct me as I share this message. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I start off by asking a question. Are you content? with what God has revealed about the future. Now, I start off with that question. There are different people who, uh, who I have spoken to said they read the book of Revelation and they said, never again will I ever read that. It scared me silly. I've heard of people who profess to be Christians who read the book of Revelation. That's the last book in the New Testament. And they said, I don't like to read that. It's, it's just... It's too heavy for me. Um, there are some people who just are fearful about the future. I mean, I assure you, if you're a child of God, you don't have to be fearful about reading the book of Revelation. You don't have to be fearful about the future. If you are truly a child of God, you can have wonderful hope. Uh, there are a number of individuals who are attracted to speculation about the future. Uh, they're into date setting. I think I alluded to this last week, how there are people who, all throughout the ages who tried to set some kind of timetable when the Lord is going to come. And uh, we can't know for sure. There's obviously, there's scriptures that speak to that effect that we can't know for certain about when it is. But there have been those who have written things about it they were certain the Lord was going to come at a very specific time. The Lord did not come, so they moved the date ahead. And uh, they didn't come on that date, and they kept moving it ahead. There is one man uh, among super, uh, so many different examples I could give you. But there was a man who set a date. His name was Edgar C. Wisenot. He was a retired NASA engineer, published a booklet, titled 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Come, and this was 1988. According to Wisenot, the rapture would take place on Sunday, September 11, 1988. Failing that, on either Monday, September 12th, or September 13th. He went further. He declared that the Antichrist would sign his treaty with Israel on September 21st, 1988, the 144,000 witnesses would be divinely sealed on September 26, 1988. World War III would start on October 4, 1988, and would last for three and a half weeks. Well, do I need to tell you he didn't get that straight? Um, 
We're not in the date setting. We know the Lord is going to come, contrary to the scoffers. The scoffers say, where's the promise of his coming? He's not coming. Second Peter speaks about that. Ah, I'm just living for the here and now. Eat, drink, and you marry, and tomorrow I can die. I'll just live it up. Live it to the best. And they're scoffing about the Lord's coming. When he does come, you'll not be scoffing, in my estimation. You will see things from a different perspective, and hopefully you will not come to that place where you're unprepared. So, uh, when the Lord comes, uh, we have to understand he has not chosen to reveal exactly when it is. It's been a long time since he shared that, and since we have the scriptures written about it. But when he was questioned about this particular subject, about the Lord, about him coming back, he, he basically said these words, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So Jesus didn't even reveal when exactly it was going to be. Um, so we know the, the Lord, when he was questioned about this, refused to provide an answer that was desired. And I have had some other questions, and I think the legitimate questions have come to me. Do you think the rapture is going to occur, you know, pretty soon? And I, my, kind of my pat answer is, I hope so. But I can't say for certain it will be. I hope that the Lord takes us up to be with him before we have to go through the doorway of death. But Paul introduces a subject which is, somewhat related to the previous chapter, but he moves in a little different direction. He refers to an expression called the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is a very commonly used expression in the Old Testament. Our Lord spoke about it in the Gospel of Matthew and what's called the Olivet Discourse, uh, but it's not it's not maybe exactly the way we would think on the surface. It's not one specific time, but it is an expression used of a time period probably very shortly after the rapture. Not the rapture itself, but sometimes shortly after the rapture occurs. And this day of the Lord includes, encompasses a time of Yes, it's going to be very sudden. There's no question about that. We'll see that in the text. But it's also going to include a time of judgment upon the earth, both toward the Gentiles as well as the Jews who have rejected him. That period of time is going to be horrific. If you think the world has gone through a time of tribulation now, it is, but nothing, nothing like it. And you say, I think it's going to be very similar. No, it's not going to be very similar. Read Revelation chapter 4 through 19. You're going to see it isn't even close to being similar. Uh, what's going on now is a microcosm of the horrific cataclysmic events that are going to take place in a, what's called the seven-year period of tribulation. So this Old Testament expression denotes a, a day opening the activity when God intervenes in history to judge his enemies. Have you ever thought like, whew, I'm thinking that person's going to be in trouble when, when they have to stand before God. All of us have probably met some people like that, whether 
you know, they're tyrants in political areas or maybe they're people that you happen to run across and you say, man, they, I hope that they turn, from, turn to God because they're going to be in real big trouble. Well, someday God is going to rain justice down upon this earth. And the justice is going to go against people who have been wicked, people who have not been prepared, and the justice is going to go against the Jewish people as a whole. Now, will there be people who come and believe in Jesus Christ in that seven-year period of time? Yes, there will be multitudes who will get saved or become born again, put their trust in Christ during that time. But a good many of those people who put their trust in Christ will be martyred. And the Bible speaks about that. They will be killed. It'll be a terrible, terrible time. So, when we come to this passage of Scripture, we want to understand that there is a, a really a contrast made from the end of chapter 4 to what he's speaking about now. The subject in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, stand in contrast to what was mentioned in chapter 4. Before, it was a what we would call a message of hope and comfort. Now, the emphasis is more of a message of judgment and warning, and then some aspect of how we should live. And here, I guess we could say that the thrust of it is, this contrast is that believers are definitely different than non-believers, the Christian is to be living in light, spiritual light, and non-Christians are living in darkness. And of course, they need to turn to him. So what we want to do is just kind of center our attention upon these thoughts. I'll make some applications, but to remain content with what God has revealed about the coming of the day of the Lord. And then see, how are we supposed to respond? How can we respond in light of what we know? So let's first of all look at the person who is what we call a non-Christian or an unbeliever, somebody who has not accepted in their heart the message of salvation. The unbeliever will experience great tragedy for their lack of preparation. Now there's a couple expressions that I want to just emphasize here. This will be a time of sudden destruction. Sudden destruction. I'm going to give you a, uh, just a couple things that you're probably very familiar with, at least if you've read anything in history, you probably understand uh, that a city, a Roman city in 79 AD called Pompeii, was immersed in volcanic ash, um, and people were going about their business, whatever, and just in a very short time, Mount Vesuvius erupted, and that ash covered um, the entire city. And I had the opportunity of visiting there a number of years ago and seeing uh, the excavations of this, and, and you have people who are busy about life, and they actually were covered in ash, and it happened so quickly, so suddenly, that they basically, some of the people were still in the same position that they were at when this happened. Now, the bodies themselves are not there, but the excavators were able to take 
some forms and so on of uh, these persons uh, that were left behind. And then they were able to remake them. So it's very amazing when you're looking at these statues of people in different postures and so on. You look and say, whoa. Well, they're not the actual individuals, but that's actually what was going on. Now, my point is this. It came so suddenly upon the city of Pompeii that it like was almost the city was like unknown until I think around the 18th century was discovered. And of course, lots and lots of excavations have done, been done since then. Suddenness and certainly destruction of that very wicked, evil city. Now, just shift a little bit. It's not exactly the same illustration, but all of you have heard about Pearl Harbor. And in 1941, uh, the Japanese came unexpectedly. They said there was notices given out, but unexpectedly came into Pearl Harbor and sunk a number of ships, and, and many, many soldiers died during that. The suddenness, okay? Now, there are multitudes of illustrations and examples of how suddenness can be. Here, the expressions used is that of a thief in the night. The thief doesn't uh, tell you he will come. He doesn't send you a text. Uh, at night and say, by the way, I'm going to be there in a certain time, uh, so get prepared. Uh, years ago, uh, some dear friends of my family, uh, they came home in the broad daylight, broad daylight, and saw a moving truck there, or truck there, and they saw people hauling their furniture out of the house. What is going on? <laughs> they weren't planning on moving at all. They lived in Trap, Pennsylvania. They, this is Montgomery County. And, of course, they called the authorities and so on. Here they were, brazen thieves, going in. They knew these people were away somewhere. They didn't know they were going to come home. And their furniture is being taken to the house. Well, obviously, you caught them in this particular situation. But let me just say this. You don't get heads up when it comes to a thief. And there's not going to be a heads up about this either when the Lord comes. He's going to come as a thief would come in the night. In a time of great, um, maybe shall we say, false security. If you look at the passage of Scripture, it says they were going to come. Uh, in a, when they shall say, peace and safety. Ah, it seems like everything's okay. By the way, just a little side from here. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to try to, he's going to make a peace covenant with Israel. It's going to affect much of the world as well. And everything is going to seem like it's just really, really nice. He's going to break it uh, halfway through that. But people are going to think, oh, you know, everything's fine. Everything's going good and so on. That's when this judgment is going to actually commence. And he uses another expression. And that it says this, Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now, the metaphor that's used here is a woman who's going to labor pains. I assure you, I know we're living different times. I assure you, I have, cannot ex tell you how that is experienced by, by individuals. Uh, but I do hear women who have been mothers who have said, they don't always know exactly when those labor pains are going to come, and it comes very suddenly, and they better get to the hospital or get some medical attention 
pretty quickly they don't. And you've heard some stories where a child was born on the side of the road or an airplane or something like that. So this is talking about the suddenness of it, and certainly tied in with that, the labor pains that come along with this. So these expressions of, of are used to try to emphasize the fact this is going to be a very, very climactic time. It's not just a little, a tiny little bump in the history of the earth. This is going to be a real big problem. It's going to be a time of an inescapable doom. Did you see that expression there? And they shall not escape. In other words, people are not going to be able to get away from it. When, this, when God says that this is going to come to pass, it will come to pass, and people are not going to be able to say, well, I'm not ready yet. I need to make some changes. Uh, I want to read to you a passage of Scripture. Maybe you're familiar with this passage, but it's in the Old Testament. Uh, and it's a very, very small book called Zephaniah. Uh, now, that particular book in Zephaniah is really a prophecy and one of many prophecies about this day of the Lord. So let me read uh, just a couple verses from there in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. Uh, like I said, it's mentioned quite, quite a bit through the Old Testament about this day of the Lord. And it says in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, uh, speaks about this. And I, I got the right. right. Um, 14. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover thee. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor to drink, that puttest thy bottle to him. And make us, nope, sorry. Ah, something didn't sound right there. Uh, okay, we'll get this. Zephaniah, now we got it. How many know that Zephaniah was in the Old Testament? Okay. <laughs> Zephaniah. Yes, right here. All right, now we got it. All right, the great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers, and I will bring distress upon men, that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. So one of the prophets of the Old Testament, one of a number of them, talk about this day of the Lord. People will not be able to escape. Have you read some things about World War II war criminals when uh, Nazi Germany lost the war and men were rounded up, women rounded up, who were 
part of that evil regime. Well, during that time, some of the criminals escaped. They went to various countries, and some of them lived out the rest of their lives. Some of them were caught. We don't know. But may assure you, no one will escape this time. You say, well, I'm going to figure out a way to escape. I've got it all figured out. No, it's not going to work. This is a terrible, terrible, terrible time. And like I alluded to earlier, if you want to get just a little picture of this, read Revelation chapter 4 through verse, uh, uh, chapter 4 through uh, chapter 19. Now, the day of the Lord, in this context, we talk about the suddenness, the judgment, cataclysmic judgment, and so on. And the day of the Lord actually extends into the millennial kingdom. But the writer here is not talking about that millennial kingdom. We know when Jesus Christ is going to reign. So here's just the basic broad picture. The person who's unprepared, they have not accepted Jesus Christ, their Savior. Uh, they have never received forgiveness. And they're going to experience a horrible time in this what we call the tribulation period. It'll just get, it'll be intense. It'll be increasingly, uh, it'll increase in intensity along the way until the Lord comes at the end of that tribulation period. Now, the rest of this section has to do with how we who are call ourselves Christians should live in light of what we know. We should indeed live distinctively different from the unbelievers. Verses 4 through 11. Notice this. But ye brethren, now you can see, he's saying, he's speaking now to the believers here. That's the expression, talking about believers. Are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Okay, you understand that? So this is, this is a little different than we call the suddenness of the rapture. This is a suddenness that's going to open up a God's wrath against unbelieving, wicked people that have lived, are living upon the earth. All right? So this is going to be a horrible time. But the believer is not in that category. You're all the children of light. And the children of the day, we are not of the night, nor of darkness. Can you see the contrast? Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Here the expression of sleep is not falling asleep. Okay? It, the idea is morally falling asleep. It's not being alert. Have you seen um, a sign along the highway, when you're driving along the highway, it says, it says something like this, stay alert, stay alive. Have you ever seen that? I don't know if they still have but you know what they're talking about, obviously. Don't fall asleep. There's a lot of people with bad accidents, not just because they're drunk, but also because they fall asleep at the wheel. Maybe they didn't go to bed early like they should have when they moved the clocks. And clocks were hit, I don't know. But nevertheless, we have some admonitions here. Jesus will not come like a thief coming to plunder us. And verse 9 says, God has not appointed us to wrath. So we're not part of that 
that time of judgment. Why? Because we're raptured out of here, all right? The believers of the church are raptured out. So, we are called upon to live being watchful and sober. And both of these expressions have the idea of mental alertness uh, or Restraining oneself from any kind of excesses. This is idea of sleepers. Has the idea of somebody who's dull of mind. They're not really awake and alert. Uh, a few years ago, I was in France. My wife was not here. And there's a six-hour difference. I was there in March. Was it 2020? I think it was. I'm not sure exact date there, but that was right when the pandemic pandemic started and the president at that time uh, was making some statements that any Americans had to come home, you need to come home. Well, I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't paying attention to news or anything like that. My wife hears this news and thinks she doesn't want me to get stuck in France. She's back home. So she makes a call in the evening. It was about 2.30, if I remember now as I look back, one around 2.30 in the morning. I, that's a time when I'm really dead out of it, like I'm in a different world, 2.30 in the morning, I think that you'll understand. My wife calls me and says, you've got to come home right now. I, she said, "There's, you know, whatever the president say, you got to come, you know, come back. And I said, basically, why are you bothering me at this time of the night? You know, you know, I'm sleeping. Call me in the morning. Now, we laugh about it, my wife is frantic. She wants me to get back in the country before the things are shut down because they were saying you might not be able to get back for quite a long period of time. And I'm thinking, all I care about is I need a few more hours of sleep. I was not alert. Okay, have you ever <coughs> had those experiences? <clears throat> My wife is thinking, you better be alert. And I'm thinking, I really don't care. Now, using, the, using this expression, there are people who really fully realize we have to stay alert, spiritually speaking. Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom, may, whom he may devour. No, it, it, it's, it's not like coming home from another country. It's like we've got the devil fighting us. Remember, we've got to stay alert. And then there's others who are saying, it's not that big a deal. God is saying, don't be dull of mind when it comes to these matters. Be alert spiritually. Live being watchful and sober. <clears throat> All moral indifference and carelessness about spiritual things should, be, should not be part of the believer's lifestyle. They're contrasted here. Day versus night. Light versus darkness. Awake, uh, being awake versus sleep. Uh, we are, we are talking about our Lord is trying to get across something here to the Thessalonians and by application to us as well. The Lord is going to come. We don't know when. He will indeed come. We don't have to be fearful. Our hearts don't have to be filled with fear and anxiety about it because we're not going to have to go through that. The church age is not going to have to go through that time. But meanwhile, we are supposed to conduct ourselves on a completely, totally different level than the way this world does. 
And that's going to take you swimming upstream, as I use the metaphor sometimes. That's going to take you depending upon the Holy Spirit to guide you and direct you. And that's going to, that's going to depend upon you. <clears throat> that's going to be important that you depend upon God's word so you can fight off the evil in your own life as well as the influences of the world. So we're supposed to live watchful and with sobriety, with alertness, uh, not like the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3. speaks about them being lukewarm, and God says, I'd rather you be cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. I'd rather spew you out of my mouth. He does not want us to be lukewarm. You can park here a second. If you truly have known Jesus Christ, your Savior, you know you're, you can give a Bible answer, you know God has saved you. I don't know how to explain this adequately in English language, but if you are living a mediocre, lukewarm, laissez-faire Christian life, you are plumb out of the will of God. God does not want you just be spinning wheels and just kind of floating along. He wants you to be spiritually alert. He wants you to be moving forward for him. He wants you to be looking, how can I live for God more effectively? How can I be a better light in this dark world? Now, we're not talking about you trying to become like a Pharisee. There's enough of those people around. We don't need to add to that. We're talking about in your heart, you are living a life of godliness and holiness. And you're not tolerating sin in your life. And you are endeavoring the best you possibly can to live a life similar to Jesus Christ. So live being watchful and live being sober or morally alert. Then live being well armored. Verse 8 says, but let us who are of the day, talking about Christians, there is an expression again, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, I realize we don't use these expressions, the breastplate and helmet, but these were common terms in New Testament times. The soldiers would have a breastplate, which would cover their the, the, the chest area and so on, and would be a very significant uh, for them to wear this uh, to protect them against the, uh, the enemies, uh, darts or arrows or whatever. And uh, the helmet, of course, putting on the head was very significant as well uh, when it came to uh, a defense type thing. Now, you can see this; these expressions fleshed out more in Ephesians chapter 6, but basically what he's saying is, spiritually speaking, we are to put on some moral qualities that are really in line with what Jesus Christ wants to have. What are they? Notice, breastplate of faith. In other words, we're supposed to trust God. In the midst of doubt, we trust God. Well, what are we going to do, Dad? We're going to trust God. Well, I don't know what we can do, Mommy. And Mommy says, we're going to trust God. And so you're trusting God. I use it from a family standpoint. But if crisis comes in your life, you're going to say, I'm going to trust God. God is the God of the impossible. And then the other part of this armor that we put on that is love, selfless love. Not a lust type of love, not a selfish, narcissist type of love. This is a sacrificial love. We put this in our life. 
and then for the helmet, the hope of salvation, I'm saved. I, I know I'm going to go to heaven. I, I have that security in Jesus Christ, and that gives us assurance as we're in this particular battle. So we live being well-armored with the breastplate of faith and love, with the helmet of salvation, and then we live mutually encouraging and building up one another. Verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Here it is. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Now, implications are very broad, but we are called upon to actually encourage one another. But what's going to happen? I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. And you're talking to a believer and all frantic, you think the sky is falling, sir? You can calm it down and say, it's all right. It's going to be okay. God's in charge. He's still on the throne. He hasn't forgotten about us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He told us he'll be with us always to the end of the world. We have the Holy Spirit. Greater is he that is us than he that is in the world. We can, this is the victory, even our faith. We can put our trust, and you share maybe some promises with them, you pray with them, or you encourage them. So it's possible that a person who's not grounded in Scripture, and they may be truly a believer, get a little anxious, get a little worried. Here's some bad news. Uh, I heard some bad news this week. Have you heard some bad news this week? Yeah, I heard that. I heard that your bank is has collapsed. Silicon Valley Bank. You had all your money in there. So, don't you have your money invested in there? Do you know that's only going to the insurance is only going to cover up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That means you're going to look. Some of you are going to lose all the rest of that if the federal government comes through and protects you with $250,000. I'm obviously talking a little facetiously, but that's bad news for some people who've had a lot of money in there, right? And I wouldn't be surprised that there were some genuine Christians who had large amounts of money in there. And they may be going to lose a whole lot. And there may be some other banks that might fall as a result of that. There may be some business might fall. That's bad news. And my heart, from a human standpoint, if I was involved in that, and I'm sure you I didn't have money in Silicon, the Silicon Valley Bank, whatever it was. I didn't have money invested in there. I don't know that I had anything connected with that. But if I did, from a human standpoint, now what am I going to do? All my retirement savings are gone. I, don't, I can't trust the federal government to pick it up, the tab. All of us hear frightful things, and this week you're allowed to hear another frightful thing that might even be worse than that. It might be your bank that closes. Or it might be your health or injustice at your job. And the list could go on and on. But we know... We know not the exact date. We don't. But we know the Lord is going to settle the accounts. He's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of the enemies that have fought against him for a long period of time. And he is going to actually deliver us from that period of time. 
and we can comfort one another. Now, how in the world do you think we can comfort one another if we have impending doom and judgment coming down upon us like the book of Revelation speaks about? We can't comfort one another with those words, but we can comfort one another. That we're going to be delivered from that. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain his wonderful deliverance, wonderful salvation. All right, now, kind of wrapping up. The Lord is going to come. Those who are unbelievers are not going to be ready. And it's going to be too late. It's going to come so suddenly. It's going to be too late. You know my encouragement is? Don't wait until then. Turn your life over to God now. Put your trust in. You don't, it's not like just being religious. It's having a heart relationship with God. You're going to stand before God. The very God who created you, you're going to stand before him. And you're going to have to give account for your life. And all the good deeds that you've done are not going to make up for the sins that you've done. The only solution is found in hope in Jesus Christ. Call upon him and ask him to save you. If you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, I want to admonish you based upon this. Live not as the dark world, don't live in darkness, live in the light. You follow the best you possibly can, the truths of God's word. You hide God's word in your heart that you may not sin against him. You call upon his Holy Spirit to help you and empower you. You come before him when you do fall down, spiritually speaking, and you ask him for forgiveness and he will forgive you. You then look to him with hope that you realize that someday you're going to be able to be with him. So, the Lord is going to come. Are you ready? I hope so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in these moments, Lord, moments of reflection, I pray, dear God, that every person here might be ready. It's uh, so easy to get busy with life and enjoyments of life and the pursuits of goals and dreams, Lord, but this life can go by very quickly and someday we're going to meet you and it could be very soon. If there's someone who has not given their heart over to you, I pray that today would be that day of salvation. They call upon you. I'm reminded of the scripture, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Behold, now is accepted time. Behold, today is a day of salvation. I pray that there be somebody here who does not know you. They call upon you and ask you to save them from their sin. For believers, Lord, uh, that perhaps have strayed away from you or need to be more surrendered to you, I pray that they recommit themselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed just for a moment. Uh, not always, but sometimes I ask the question, is there a need that you have in your life? And if you're here and you're not certain that God has forgiven you or saved you, you might be a nice person, good person, but you're not sure that God has saved you, and you don't know for certain that your sins have been forgiven, I can't do that, so the only guy can forgive your sins. But there's a prayer need that you have. There's a need you want me to pray for you. I'll not call your name out and embarrass you, but I'd like to pray 